Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, uh, take uh, your outline. Hopefully everyone did receive a handout. They're blue today, that baby blue color. Everybody got one? If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll make sure that one of our men gets you an, uh, gets you an outline for sure. Well, we're going to continue. Take your Bible. Look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to continue <clears throat> in our studies of this most... Uh, Wonderful book that really speaks so powerfully to our day. I've entitled the message, How Do We Respond to God's Mysterious Ways? And they are mysterious. You can't live very long without recognizing the things that God does in this world, that he is sovereign in King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You have to admit, there are all sorts of curveballs and surprises Sometimes brokenheartedness. Sometimes the surprise is good, but a lot of times it's like, whoa, where did that come from? I never saw it coming. It's like a slider. Some of you are baseball players, and the pitcher gets one by you like, wow, man, I never saw it. Never saw it. Or a changeup, and you're swinging way before it came to the plate. Wow. That's our world. This side of Genesis 3, the post-fallen world that we live in, this world of sin, the, the world of, uh, of the land of the dying. We do not live in the land of the living. That's coming. This is the uh, prelude. That's the main event. I can't wait. It's a world that's filled with surprises. I could, I could give you a litany of, of, of painful uh, <clears throat> surprises in my own life. They have, they have marked me. They've shaped me. And we're going to talk about that because... <clears throat> the tears and those times of sorrow are much more, more potent to change you and I for good than the times of good. Uh, I love the times of good. When the Buffalo Bills almost win the Super Bowl, those are great days. When there's sudden death and loss and sorrow and brokenness and tears, those are, those are hard. I would never want those again, but as we'll see later, uh, they're the things that shape us for good. Most of the time, it's true. If we respond right, they mold us and mark us better than the sunny blue sky days could ever do. And God has a way of mixing all of that up in this beautiful symphony. Do you like beautiful symphonies, music? And you have the percussion and then the strings and all that. And God has written this beautiful symphony, and he mixes it all together for his glory's sake. It's not about you. We tend to think it is. It's not about me. It doesn't revolve around us. God is going to use us for his purpose and for his glory. And it's all about him. It is. And if you don't understand, join the company. Because I stand there with you. Because saying, Lord, I don't know what you're up to. Or Lord, I don't know what good can, could possibly come out of this. And the Lord has a way of weaving good in ways that you and I could never see, on dimensions that we could never even be aware of. And that's the teaching of our passage today. That's the teaching of the Word of God. And so how do we respond to God's mysterious ways? In Ecclesiastes 7, the next segment that we're going to look at is verses 15 through 29. And let's, uh, let's read a portion of this, if not all of it. In Ecclesiastes 7, 15. In this, Solomon is writing, In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness, and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp at the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. 
There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say. You may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I'm determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it's far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, the Koheleth, that's Solomon. This is what I've discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found, that God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. That's our passage. Well, there's so much, by way of introduction, that we don't understand in life. God is sovereign. He rules his world with absolute certitude. Yet often his ways are perplexing, confusing. They seem unjust to us at times. Even this past week, if you were aware at all of the news media, faith in our hearts were broken. We were heavy. We were so heavy at heart on Wednesday or Thursday when we heard that Stephen Curtis Chapman's uh, son, 17-year-old son, backed down the driveway and ran over his sister of five years old and killed her. That man who has brought so much beautiful contemporary music to so many, the joy and the wonder of that. And uh, we just uh, felt the burden of that and prayed for them. And we go like, to run over. And y- you know what? They had, a, uh, th- they had a wedding that weekend right there? They had an engagement party this past week, this weekend, and um, a high school graduation. And just a few days earlier, their little baby girl, or their five-year-old baby, run over by their son. We prayed for the son. He's probably want to go jump out the window and end his life. And you go like, he just ache and hurt. And you go like, how can that be? And then also, we saw in the paper, we mentioned it, uh, Gary Dreyer. Some of you know him. You were friends with him. I talked to Mark about him and David. And Gary Dreyer was a, was a helping and, and a, blessed, a blessing to us. And I got a call on the phone. He had three daughters. And Christiana, Christiana called and left a message. I, it was so garbled, I could almost not make out the message. You know how that is on the answer machine. And I got the number after listening to it five times. I called her back. She told me, Dad had died. I said, can't be. How can that be? He's f- 51. Well, they had, they had moved to uh, Bucks County and went to Calvary Church there. And uh, she said, I said, your dad was in the fit of health. Yeah, he was training for a marathon. And I said, I said what happened? She said, he went to work and he never came home. He had an aneurysm on the job. They carried him out and that was it. He went right to heaven. And we go like... That's, that's hard, to, hard to get your arms around that thing. You go, the, that's just a little sample of this past week of the heartache and the brokenness of the world that you and I live in. We go like, oh, just put you back. It just hits, doesn't it? And you think, wow, wow. And at times... Deep in our heart, I write on your sheet, we want to ask God, why? Why do you allow it? Why didn't you stop it? It's not fair. It's not fair. And I'm reminded, we never want to ask God for fairness. We're sinners, all of us, that deserve hell. You want fairness? There we go. We're all out of here. Me too. You don't want fairness, but we, we know what we say when we say that. Why not the wicked? Why not the evil? Why, why is it that sometimes they live a long, long time? How old is, how old is Fidel Castro now? He's pretty old. 
You go like, how many people did he butcher? And the guy keeps going on. Gary Dreyer drops over dead at 51. Well, Solomon tells us how to live in a world that seems upside down because it, 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 it is. It's on tilt. It's abnormal. This is not the normal world that God created. There was the entrance of sin that came into paradise and caused death and sickness and suffering and all that. And in a word, here it is. How do we live? How do we live in a world where I don't have all the answers? Here it is. You and I are to live in holiness and we're to live with humility. Now, if you got that and you understand it, you can head door to door. That's really the sermon. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Solomon's going to tell us here. We're to live with, uh, uh, with a fear of God that results in, in striving by God's grace and the Spirit to obey Him and will result in, 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 a, in a holiness of life. We're to command it, be holy, for I'm holy. We're to command to do that. So how do we do it? Be holy. Second, be humble. You're a creature. You're pretty small. I won't say puny, Todd. I know you said you say puny all the time, so I won't say puny. But we're very small. I still got it in there, didn't I? <laughs> Two or three times. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Well, we got we got to look at this because uh, two great truths helping us to deal with the mysterious unknowable ways of life. We're small, limited, sinful, and we're not able to grasp or get our arms around all that God is doing. It's impossible. God could tell us. We'd say, Lord, tell me what you're doing. He could tell us, but we'd have for sure a short-circuiting in our brain. Talk about the fireworks going off. They'd be going off in your brain, and so would I. We can't get our arms around it. But whatever he does is good, and his plan is good, and his purpose is good, and he knows the end, and we're closer to the end than the beginning, and so we, ours is what? We're to, be, we're to be holy, we're to be humble. That's what he's saying to us. A, the number one, Roman number one, we must strive for holiness, which results from fearing God as we cannot understand all that God is doing. In other words, and here's the thought, don't let what you cannot understand... That's a lot. We're not talking algebra, calculus, brain surgery, astrophysics. Most of us can't understand that anyway. I can't spell half those words, right? Don't let what you cannot understand negate what you can do right now. He calls us to be holy, calls us to a purity of life. He gives us the ability. He saves us, the Spirit of God within us. And we're to live in a way that honors him. You, so, in other words, don't let what you cannot understand, that's a whole lot, negate what you can do right now. Well, A, Solomon tells us what he has seen in uh, verse 15. And that is, the righteous man dying young. You know, that's where the expression comes. I first heard it from my father. When uh, somebody died, it was an 18-year-old in my school. My father said, well, you know the expression. I said, well, what's that? Only the good die young. I said, well, that's a strange thing. Only the good die young. Well, it comes out of this, right, right here, in kind of a generic form. Uh, the righteous, he, Psalm says, I looked out, I'm making this study of life and world and sin, wickedness, all this, trying to make rhyme or, rhyme or reason. And he looked at the Jerusalem Post, and there it was in the headline. A righteous young man dies young. No, none of us are right. I don't mean sinless. None of us are that way. But when God regenerates us and he produces in us, he works in us, and he's conforming us through sanctification to make us like Christ, there's an uprightness or a righteousness that God is giving and creating in our life. And sometimes a man or woman possessing that dies young. It happens in our world. And Solomon said, I also read the paper, looking at the obits, and here it is, the old uh, man, the wicked man, evil, he lived a long, long, long time. So it's that great old question. And the two Psalms, and it's real easy if you want to study it, remember it, because the numbers are inverted. Psalm 37 speaks to this, and Psalm inverted 73. So it's a good way for you to remember 
those two sims, they give, <laughs> sims, songs, those hymns, the psalms, they give instruction in those wisdom psalms dealing with that age-old question. The prosperity, you see, you cannot identify the righteous by long life, right? We rejoice that Susan's mother's 97 and uh, loves the Lord and all that, and that's a great thing. But you cannot assume that everyone that lives a long life, oh, they must be righteous. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Because sometimes in this world, God's dearly chosen one die very, very young. And the wicked live a very long time. Just sometimes that's the way it is. You can't. Forget appearances. We've already seen, number one, that prosperity is not always good for us. It's not. It's not always good for us. It makes us soft. It causes us maybe to take our eyes off the Lord, you know, we have too much then, and it's too good, and we begin to stray from the path. I hate it in me. I hate it that I loathe that in my own heart, that tendency. Why is it? It's the opposite. Why, why are there no atheists in a foxhole? Because the opposite. You have nothing, and you're under a threat of death moment by moment, and you're looking up. Here's the opposite. Sun comes out, blue skies. You have enough in the cupboard, you got something in the bank, you got, how about that, gas in the car, and you know, and it's life is good. Be careful. There's a there's a danger inherent in that because of our sin benefits inherent within all of us. The the tendency to maybe wander away from the path. And so prosperity is not always good for us. To be held, to be wealthy is by no means the answer uh, to the hunger of the human heart. You know that. Some of the most miserable people that are, some of the wealthiest people. Now, don't sit there and be happy because you're not wealthy and ha, 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 they're not happy. <laughs> don't do that. You missed it, okay? <laughs> but if wealth made them happy, they'd all be doing high fives and having, you know, nah, it doesn't happen. Some of you know better than others. And, but, but also we saw that in days gone by that adversity is not always bad. So the hard times shape us, and they do. Some of our best times are the tough times, or the times when we didn't have very much, times when you struggled. Sometimes a, hu- a husband and a wife will grow apart in the years as God prospers them, and, and sometimes they're in two worlds. It can easily happen to us in our rat race of life, and they'll go back, and they'll, they'll romantically remember, remember that little apartment? We had a studio and a bed, we didn't have anything, and we couldn't even go to McDonald's, and and we, we, they look back with fondness. Why? Because they were pulling together. They didn't have much, and they were hard times. And uh, sometimes adversities like that, they can be some of the very best times. God, can, God uses pain in our lives for ultimate good. He does. We need to be willing to let God put us through some tough times. They'll shape us into better tools for his work. Tommy Nelson writes in his one book, I'll quote him a couple of times because he cracks me up. Anyway, in this he said, I would not repeat my painful times for anything. I would not. I'm I'm right with you, Tommy. But then he goes on to say, but I would not trade them for anything either, for what they have done and helped shape me and form me and make me into the man I am today. I understand that. And through my tears and days gone by, I go like, Lord, when when are the clouds going to lift? And you know, I'm not the same when it lifts. I'm I'm just in more love with the Savior, more love with what's really eternal and really of value. And the peripheral junk that we tend to fill our lives up with, it sort of fades to the side. And we need that. I need that. You need it. And Tommy Nelson understood that so well. We'll get B under one. Do not think that your self-righteousness or your limited wisdom will deliver you from hard times. It's kind of a difficult passage in the verses 16, 17, because um, it's twisted by folks in some of the commentaries. Yeah, I almost get the idea here is, uh, well, don't be too righteous, but uh, don't be too sinful, sort of moderate between. A good principle of Bible study is that you always compare Scripture with Scripture. You don't do that, you're going to be way off the deep end. You're going to be way out in the middle of the Atlantic with some cockeyed, goofy thought that never came from the Bible. That's not what this is saying here. He's talking about uh, having a pharisaical self-righteousness or a sort of self-wisdom. Somehow I'm I've I'm arrived and I'm I know all things. You don't. 
you don't know all things and the self-righteousness. That will, will not protect you from what he said in verse 15. Life happens. It happens. It happens. Wisdom's good. We'll talk about that. The self-puffed up it is not. It will lead us down the wrong path. Moderation is not the thought at verse 16. But verse 17, he goes to the other side and says, moreover, we must not chuck it all. I've seen people do that. I've talked to folks. Deep disappointment happens, and there's a disappointment then ultimately projected on God. God, if you are really there and you really love it, you wouldn't let that happen. And Jonathan intimated that a little bit in his testimony here when he went through that tough time is in high, later high school years. In there, and, and just chuck it. Okay, if that's it, then I'm going the other way. And just chuck it. That, that, that's what he's saying here in verse 18. Don't be over wicked. Um, uh, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? No, no, don't be filled up with self and have pharisaical wisdom or righteousness, but don't go the other way and just say, well, that's it, I'm done, and just run headlong into sin of all sorts and just chuck it all, so to speak. That's what Solomon is saying to here. If you do that, uh, if you choose to, lo- uh, to live loosely, and live in sin, you will suffer the consequences of that. In fact, he said you're gonna, you may die young. You may live long in wickedness, but you may die young. It's like the teenager, and I've had funerals where, oh, that won't happen to me. You know, they're immortal in thought. One of the saddest uh, funerals I ever conducted with, I think there's 600 high school students there, and and this young 16-year-old had a belly full of uh, alcohol. He was driving his uh, Jetta. He went too fast around a curve, not too far, about three miles, right over here. And the car turned over and killed all but one, as I remember. That's foolish. He did foolish. That was stupid. He's almost going to use that very word here in a few verses later in verse 25. Stupidity. You do that kind of thing. And you're, you're probably going to end up with scars and wounds and pain. Don't do that, he's saying. Don't do that. You're going you're gonna to reap the consequences of that. And, and you will weep indeed. Die before your time. Well, wickedness can be self-destructing as well. Beware of that. Well, and see, Solomon summarizes in, in the verses that follow... Don't be wicked, foolish, and blow life. Rather, be holy and wise. As we sing in 18 and 19, it's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all, both of these extremes. This pharisaical righteousness and this, this uh, licentious living, you'll avoid that. Wisdom makes one man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. He tells us that that uh, life is filled with unfairness. And in such a world, we need to live in a godly fear of the Lord. Fear Him. Fear. Such a fear will cause us to strive to obey Him, to realize that we live in His presence. And this will produce holiness and wisdom in our lives. One man writes on the fear of the Lord. Let me give you an idea. Say, well, what's it mean to fear the Lord? How is it that it results in creaturely holiness by God's sweet salvation and the work of the Spirit in our life. Well, it means a couple of things. It means, first of all, it means not only to respect God, to fear Him, but uh, to acknowledge His presence in your daily life, that we live our days, our moments, our thoughts, all of them. God knows our motives. He knows. God never said, I didn't know that. He knows it all. He's not some puny God. He's not some superman. He's, he's great. He's omniscient. And it's to live in, uh, with... Uh, acknowledging his presence in your life and in mine. Furthermore, it means to know that he sees all that you do, that it is his hand that sends the circumstances into your life and to mine. Nothing comes into your life that hasn't first already passed through his loving hands. And he knows what he's doing. We may not know, but he does. We're not ships out at sea with no captain, just floating, bobbing around, no way. That's not life. 
That's not us. And more, finally, on the fear of God, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God's wisdom, His power, and His love, His willingness to accept you just as you are, to change you, to forgive you, to restore you, to stand by you. Well, they're all part of fearing God, according to Pastor Stedman. Appreciate his good writing on that. It's true. Well, number two, the, this wisdom, he says, in verse 19, is good. It, uh, it won't protect you from curveballs and surprises and certainly not self-promoting uh, pharisaical wisdom, but uh, don't think it won't help. It does. Wisdom does help. Living God's Word and principles of God's Word helps us to avoid hitting the potholes. Now, I use that a lot because I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and the winters are so brutal up there. The roads, it's just... I mean, we could park our cars in some of those potholes. They're worse than, than PennDOT. I said that once, and there was a guy from PennDOT in the congregation. He got a little upset at me uh, and wanted to know what the problem... And actually, it actually turned out for good. We had that hole in front of our... And he had the men patch it that week, didn't he? So that turned out pretty good. But uh, when, you, when you hear God's word, right, uh, and you say, Lord, help me to do your word and live your word out... You know, it's like driving down, there, there are potholes everywhere, and it's like, well, there's one, I'm going to go around that one, and this one. Some of us, it's dumb and dumber, we just keep hitting the thing. I wonder why our wheels of our life are about ready to fall off. Your suspension's in deep trouble there, it's going to be big bucks, right? We just had to do that with some of our cars. But that's what it is when you don't take in God's Word and do it. Wisdom is good. It won't, it's not 100% going to keep you from, from trouble of life. No one knows the trouble I've seen. Well, obey the Word. It'll help you navigate. It's not, you know, it's not Superman's shield to keep you and protect you from all that comes, but uh, you'll be better off. That's what he's saying. In fact, you'll be, you'll be better off than 10 strong rulers uh, of, of a city. And, and he, he is right on that. So obey him and what you know. Here it is. So obey him in what you know and trust him in what you don't. Notice that. That's the key thought on number three under C. I want you to walk away. Obey him in what you know and trust him in what you don't. Can you say that? Obey him in what you know and trust him in what you don't. One more time. Obey him in what you know and trust him in what you don't. There it is. And you should go and tell three people this week. You know, somebody's, I read this uh, this week, one of the great Puritan pastors was asked, how did your church grow? He said, well, I just preached to the 500 of them, and then they went out and told everybody that week what I said, and God used that. And that's what we ought to do, and say, well, what, yeah, yeah, church this week, what do you learn? Obey Him and what we know, and we're to trust Him and what we don't. And guess what? We don't know very much. We need to trust him. That's what Solomon's saying. Wisdom's good. But it's not, it's not the imperial shield that will protect you from all things. God's ways are still mysterious. And so we ought to fear him. And with that will come a creaturely sense of holiness. I mean, the great example, really, of, uh, in my way of thinking, and one that probably most of you have seen the film or read the book, was Eric Little. Look at the mysterious ways of God in his life. Eric Little, the great Scotsman, in 1924, won the, uh, the gold medal at the Paris Olympics. He uh, refused to run on the Sabbath, and, and, they, uh, and then he ran in the, uh, we call it the quarter mile, I think it's the 440 now, and, uh, and won the gold medal. And uh, following that, I mean, he was a hero there in his homeland. Uh, almost immediately, he uh, packed up and, and heard the call of God to go to China as a missionary, and he did. And he was over there in China and worked with the Chinese and, and with the gospel ministry and, and his wife, and they had children, two children. And finally, before World War II, the Japanese came into China and they occupied, and they put in the internment camps. So many people, he was one of them. And just before that, he just barely got his wife and his two children. She was pregnant at the time. He got his children out of China, and they went to Canada. He was put into a six-by-three cell, this, uh, this Olympian champion, this greater champion for God. 
He was put into a six-by-three prison cell by the Japanese during that terrible time there in China. And in short order, he died. He died of cancer at 42 years of age. And we go like, that makes sense. Why didn't God run some of those wicked men, the Hitler type, the Mussolinis, and wipe them out? Why would he allow that to happen to Eric Little? This creaturely, holy man who sought to serve God. He could care less about notoriety and fame and all that could have come to him by way of money from the, the gold medal. And he served God with his heart and his life. And he died in a Japanese prison camp in China. Well, we must strive. I'm telling you, it's a mysterious world of God. It doesn't make sense, and oftentimes it seems upside down. And you don't know what's going to happen this week. You don't know the next hour. God, Jesus said, you don't know what's going to happen with your life the next minute. And we don't, do we? The next phone call. And we go like, wow, I never saw that coming. Solomon says, as I looked at it all, he said, fear God. In the midst of it all, don't chuck it. Don't think you know it all. Keep looking up. Let God produce a Christ-likeness in your life if you know him. But he doesn't stop there. In the end of the chapter, he goes to the second great truth, helping you and me to deal with this mysterious and noble ways of God. And that is, we must be humble. By never forgetting that we are still sinners. No matter how much you have grown in grace, and no matter how many years you've been saved, you and I are still sinners. We are. That's the most wonderful thing about the church. I love it. You know, some clubs, when you go to, they don't, they don't let you in because you don't make enough money. Or you're not that great of an athlete. Who are you? Stay outside, right? Or um, you're, you're, you don't give that much to charity. Or you don't have this or that. The, the, the local church, I love it. It's, they put out a banner, sinners are welcomed here. And we're home. All right. Isn't the gospel one sinner telling another where to find bread? Don't you love that? Sometimes we forget that. God be, changes us in the new disposition. We're growing in grace, and we see bit by bit God is some of the habits and sinful ways. That God is, those things are, are they're just kind of dropping out of our life. Not all of them. There are some of them still there. That God is bit by bit giving us victory someday in heaven. It'll finally be all gone. We have a tendency of forgetting that uh, I'm a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. And we need to have a deep sense of humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what Jesus said. That's what you're referring to, you know? So we're, we're all on level ground here. I'm with you. We jump down and we're all the same. I love that. That's us. We need to be humble, particularly when we haven't a clue as to what God is up to. I'll never forget what uh, our Sarah said when her fiancé was killed by that drunk driver. Some of you remember that time. You carried us through that. That was a very tough time. And someone said, well, are you going to, are you going to chuck your God now? And uh, she was a student, a graduate student at Shippensburg at that point. She said, Chuck, my God, he's all that I have. He's all that I have. And that's right. Humility, lowliness. You know what? Humility isn't walking around being a pretend like you're a, you know, a bum or a vagabond or nothing. No, humility just means have the right thought about who you are. Okay, that's it. Have the right perspective. You're priceless, made in God's image, with gifts and abilities and wonderfully saved if you know Christ. Right? You're priceless. But in the scope of all things, we're sinners saved by grace. It's grace. It's grace from beginning to end. It's, uh, it's, God sees us through Christ. It's in Christos. It's in Christ. That's it. That's our position in the heavenlies. And so be humble. Tom, Tommy Nelson, in, in one of the books I read that he wrote, I put the quote in it. He authored the book, and he writes, If you knew about me, 
what God knows, you would not have bought this book. Now, you've got to love that. Now, he's a pastor in Texas. If you knew about me, what God knew, you would not have given your good money for this. And he says, and if I knew about you, what God knows, I probably wouldn't let you read it. <laughs> that's a good expression. That's, that's, that's us. That's who we are. Look, look what he been. Verse 20. Notice our condition. There's not a righteous man on earth, men and women, it's generic here, uh, who does what is right and never sins. He's, he's saying the same thing as Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're, we're born totally depraved. doesn't mean we're as bad as we could possibly be. doesn't. It just means every aspect of our being is tainted with the sin bent. It is. Our minds we think about things we shouldn't think about, things that are evil. There are categories in this postmodern day of good and evil. And we allow our mind, we choose to think upon things, hateful thoughts of people that hurt us and despise us, sensual thoughts and things that may be pleasing to the eye or to the sexuality and all that kind of things. And all that, you know, I don't need to go down that. But our minds are tainted with sin. Our, our will is tainted. We choose things that we shouldn't choose to do. And the things we should, we don't choose. Emotion. Sometimes we emote over things that are not pleasing to the Lord. It's tainted. Every bit of our being, there's a pollution of sin within us. You got it from your parents. It goes all the way back. There's none righteous, no, not one. But uh, B, we all struggle with a fallen nature that will it show itself at any possible moment of weakness or frustration or anger. We all have the same problem. We do. These are verses I often quote. Do not Look at verse 21. Do not pay attention to every word people say. Or you may hear your servant cursing. You say, I don't have a servant. Well, forget that. Get the point here. Where you know in your heart that many times you've cursed on. Don't keep your ear to the rail. Don't be one that runs around saying, who said, she said, what's this, what's the latest? Don't do that. I mean, life's hard enough without knowing all the dribble of what people's saying. Because you're going to find things that are hurtful. You will. I have. And I don't keep my ear down. I don't go making phone calls to find out what's the latest press. Don't do that. Because when it floats in, you will be hurt. And when you're hurt, this is what Solomon says, remember, you, you've done the same thing. In mo moments of exasperation, anger, frustration, you have said things that you shouldn't have said about other people. Don't be surprised. He's saying there's a universality of the problem. You have it, I have it, we've all been stung by the same bees. Where are the bees this year in their sight? But we all have it. It's called a sin bed. And that's how bad it is at any one moment. Uh, we could say the most horrible things that come out of our hearts that are still not sanctified. You know what I mean? Sometimes I say things and it breaks my heart. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Root that out of me. It shows how much more work you need to do in this guy. We're symbol sinners. We, we need to be lowly in thought and humble and have the right perspective as to we, who we are. Well, see, Solomon's own experience recounted in his own wisdom. He couldn't understand the ways of God. In verse 23, he sought to be wise. All this I tested by wisdom. This is the wisest man of all. I said, I'm determined to be wise, but it was beyond me. It was. It was beyond him. Such things humbled him as well it should humble us. It's too deep for us. Human wisdom certainly has its limits. Listen, you don't have to understand or figure out the universe. You don't. Don't sit there and do that. I'll figure out the universe and then I'll get engaged. Don't do that. But what you and I must do is defend our own six square feet of ground with wisdom that we are given by God and avoid evil in humility of heart. That's what he's saying. Number two, he says, uh, uh, however, we, he was able to see that foolish choices lead to pain and enslavement. He already mentioned that earlier. 24, to search out wisdom, the scheme of things, to understand, here it is, the stupidity of wickedness. Sometimes you and I have done the, the, the most harebrained, stupidest thing, even in rebellion, and we end up suffering from that. All of us. None of us are immune from it. The, 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 the name of the game is 
Keep them at a minimum. Lord, make me a wise man. Make me a wise woman so I obey the word of God in the fear of the Lord and in humility. Life is, wor- life is tough at points, but you and I, by our decisions, can make it even harder. Oh, Lord, deliver us from that. And it talks about here, I find more bitter in verse 26 than death, the woman who's a snare. Now, there's a question on this, and the, the, the teachers are not really clear. Is this... Is this the woman folly personified. You know, like in the Proverbs, Proverbs 8, where wisdom is personified to be this beautiful woman. And Solomon, of course, wrote that. And they're just wondering, is this the foolish woman personified as a person and speaking here? It may be. I'm not sure. I waited all week. And I, I don't know if it's an evil woman or if it's the personification of, uh, of, of the foolish one, of foolishness. I find more bitter than death the woman, there it is, who's a snare, that's a trap, whose heart is a trap, whose hands are chained, that when you and I do foolish, stupid things, they chain us. It's the man or woman who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she'll trap, she'll ensnare. That's what he's saying here. It chains us. Doing, uh, doing foolish things lead us to bondage, certainly not freedom. It's far different when Rousseau says, casting off all the chains. He wants to just do whatever he wants. That's a prescription for absolute disaster. Listen, if you remember nothing else about God's Ten Commandments, and they're not suggestions, they're God's Ten Commandments, they're the foundation of life and of godliness, the foundation of the church, you know, and, and all that. If you never remember anything else, remember this. The commandments, when God says don't, in essence, for you and me, it really means don't hurt yourself. Or when you and I say, ah, ah, I'm going to do whatever I want, get ready. Get ready. Your life may be snuffed out real short or you will groan because of the chaining effect that it produces. And we all know what that is. We do. We all have a sin that easily besets us. And sometimes the roots are pretty deep. Some men get involved with pornography. and goes down very, very deep. And God's grace and helps them, but day by day, it's always there. It's always there. Some get involved with, with drugs. You know, hey, let's, let's have a mind-blowing experience. And now they're hooked. I remember Mike Evangelist, he's a guy I knew from school years ago. He, he's, he took all kinds of drugs. And uh, he, was, he had been a veteran over in Vietnam. Flew the uh, Cobra Copter. And he said he was unsaved. And the only way he could deal with, with all the mass killing, that that machine, that was a killing machine. Bruce, you know. That thing would drop down. And there were two guys in that. And they put a bullet. As he said a, uh, a bullet would land a square foot from each other. We'd come down, sweep down the size of a football field. We'd just wipe out everything. So I couldn't deal with it. I just, just blew my mind on drugs. And then God saved him. And he said, you know what? And I said, how's it going? He said, I can't even smell this stuff. If I smell it, I'm so weak. I'm, I, I just, I, I, I just, I'm afraid. He said, I'm afraid. I just, all the time, because of this, this root that I allowed deep down in me, and I could just fall off the wagon just that fast. Just that fast. Wow, he's right. He's right. Sin chains us. If we go the way of the foolish woman, beware. Well, three, God's, uh, God, God will do his job running the universe. The question, will you do your job? What's that? Ours is to be honest, holy, loving, righteous, and eventually to die well, isn't it? It is. That's our job. That's our job. And D, even though we seek righteousness, we need to remember that we are sinners. He closes the chapter. Look, says the teacher, this is what I've discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things. While always searching but not finding. One upright man. He's, he's using hyperbolic language here. He's not having anything against women here or men and that. He's just saying universally. Men and women are sinners. And uh, every one of us. And it's not verse 29. It's not God's fault, so to speak. Man was made righteous. But we know from Genesis 3, men and women have gone off in search of sin and have wandered away. Even though we seek righteousness, we need to remember with humility that we're sinners. 
Sin has worked its corrosive effects upon the human race. Solomon has discovered in the scheme of things, hardly anybody is upright. There are not many in the world. There are not many. And he's like looking everywhere. Not many. One in a hundred, one in a thousand. Don't ever forget who you really are before God. You must be humble. Must. You must. Well, remember, finally, God will not let your life get so solid that you can trust your family. Good to do that, but not ultimate trust. Good to trust your health. Trust that God has given you fairly good health, some of you. Thank you, that's a gift from the Lord. But not ultimately, and finally, I'm healthy. Everything's fine, I'm okay. Get ready, don't breathe. (laughs) It's in the air. Greg tells me that we have staff on our body all the time. I was talking to Ron about that with Steve and his burn and healing from the burn. We have staff on us all the time. Did you ever know that? I didn't know that. I won't ever since he told me that. I'm washing my hands a whole lot more now. <laughs> I stopped biting my nails. I don't do, I don't know. He said, oh man, it's there all the time. That's when you get a cut. That's you're getting it. You know that, Todd. Yeah. It's all the time. Right? Health is a great thing. Don't put your ultimate final trust in that. Don't do that. Talent? You say, well, I've got gifts and ability. Well, that's great. They're God-given. You've honed them. God's given you grace. Don't put your final uh, trust and, and rest in that. Friends? Yeah, i got all kinds of friends. That's great. Or a church. We love our church, and it's wonderful to sweet fellowship here at Grace. But ultimately, finally, that's not, that's not your foundation, We trust in these things, but in their place, but not completely. And finally, God wants us to enjoy these gifts, and they are gifts. They are. They're sweet gifts that God gives. But uh, God wants you to trust Him completely. Humility. We are to be holy. We are to be humble. C.S. Lewis, and I close with this. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God always gives us struggles in life. He makes sure that we are always facing things we can't quite figure out. And the reason that he does so is so that we'll remember that this world is not home. It's not home. God will always let you know that this is not home, he says. It's just an in, is the way he puts it. I-N-N. It's an in. We're passing through. This is not the destination. Amen? Are you glad for that? This is not the destination. This is not the trip I signed up for. Where's the, where's the tour guide? This is not. This is not. This is not the land of the living. Well, lessons for our life. How do we respond to God's mysterious ways? Number one, remember, God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. He owes us no explanation. He owes us nothing. He gives us life. He gives us gifts. He saves us through his provision of his only son, Christ the Lord. And yet, no one, none of us can completely understand him. We cannot. I told you before, we go to divinity school. I spent years in seminary to find the great answers of life. I've got news for you. Those books have never been written. Never been written. That I will understand all that God is doing. Impossible. Impossible. Number two. There will be times when God will disappoint our expectations. It happens. You say, well, I thought, I thought, Lord, I thought this would happen. And it didn't happen. I thought, I thought, I thought. That's not what life I thought it would be. Boy, life sure turned out differently. All these kind of things. That's the way it is in a fallen world. Don't be surprised. Number three. If you make unwise, stupid choices, and we all do, let's minimize it. Let's remember, you will suffer the consequences. What you sow, you will reap. It's like the law of gravity. Say, I don't believe it. doesn't matter. You and I set in motion a series of consequences. That will result from the things that you and I say and do. It's, uh, it's one of the laws of God's universe. You will suffer, and so why. Number four, no matter how good we get, and that's what God is doing. If you know Christ the Lord as your Savior, He's making you in the image of Christ. 
we're still sinners. Never forget that. Never, never, never forget that. In fact, I'll tell you a secret. The longer I live, the more I realize what, a, what an unholy guy this guy is in my heart. And I've noticed that with others that seem to be really maturing in the faith. They have a really sense of unworthiness, and of, of, of their sin bent in nature. Uh, I just, and I guess maybe when you're early saved and you feel the cleansing of the blood of Christ and, and all that and the freshness and the wonder and the joy of that, and it's true, you feel, you're like, you're just floating and then, the, and, and you're just like, oh, isn't it great to be saved? And, and I guess the reality is you grow in grace and realize through the years and the experience, oh my, you just going want to say, oh, oh, oh my, Lord, I don't know how you can take much more of me. I think that's a mark of maturity. Now, it's all because of him. It's all because of him, because we're in him. And it's for his grace, and we're thankful for that. Number five, and I have six today, but number five, trust God when things don't add up. Trust him. Trust him. Remember the expression, obey him in what you know about him. But trust him in the things that you don't. Trust him when the lights go out. When the righteous die young and the wicked live forever, it's like death has lost their address. And they just keep going on and on and on, like the Goodyear battery. Trust God. And the things in your life don't add up. And it happens to every one of us here. And number six and last, you must be saved. Let me urge you, I always want to give an appeal. If you've never... Men and women, boys and girls, if you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must. It's the greatest single decision in all your life. You are a sinner born under judgment. There's a heaven. There's a hell. That's it. You must be saved. That is, you must trust Christ the Lord as your Savior. A simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, admit you're a sinner. I've sinned. Thank you for sending Christ the Lord to die in my place. He's our substitute. He died that you and I might live. The God-man, Christ the Lord. He's a man so he could represent humanity. But he's more than that. He's God. And so the, the death value there was of infinite value, being the God-man. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10. Oh, I urge you to do that. Don't let the day pass. Get down by your bed tonight. Say, Lord, I don't understand what it all means, but I know it's true that I'm a, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. And Christ will save you from the penalty of your sin once forever. What a great thing. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, how, how is it that we respond to God's mysterious ways? Well, obey Him in what you know and trust Him in what you don't.